There is a very powerful question in the English language that's only three words long. And that question is this. Do I belong? Do I belong? That question, whether you answer it positively or negatively, has a huge impact on the way you live your life. Do I belong? We ask this question all the time. We ask this question in our families. Do I belong as part of this family? I mean, really, am I accepted here? Am I loved here? Am I part of this family? Do I belong here? We ask this at our work, at our jobs. Is this really me? Do I belong here? Is this right for me? We ask this in our communities. We ask this when we're walking through those streets that we're unfamiliar with, going, do I, I don't think I belong here. Sometimes you find yourself around people that just seem very different than you, and you just say, I don't think I belong with these people. Their priorities are very different than mine. But the way that you answer that question, depending on where you are, do I belong here, has a huge impact on who you are because this is an identity question, right? This is why it's so important as, as kids are growing up in, in uh, primary school and then middle school and then high school, they're asking themselves these questions. Do I belong? Where do I belong? Trying on different identities, different Different groups of people acting this way, acting that way. Do I belong with this group of people? Do I belong with that group of people? Where do I really belong? And as adults, that question didn't really go away, did it? You find yourself in a, a neighborhood, you bought that house, or you're living in this apartment complex, and you find yourself with these neighbors, and you're asking, really, do I belong here? Sometimes the, the answer needs to definitely be no. These are not the kind of people that I should be hanging out with. I do not belong here. And sometimes the answer is a definite yes. Yes, these are my people. This is where I belong. The reason that I say this, the reason that I bring this up is because we are about to embark in a new book. The book of 1 Peter. We got a little bit of a preview as we went through our identity series uh, the last few weeks. And those were samplings from the book of 1 Peter. But now we're going to do 1 Peter, Peter the proper way, where we start at the beginning and we work through it all the way through to the end. Okay, so we're doing 1 Peter and this is an identity book actually. Peter is writing to a church and he's writing actually several churches and he's writing to them to help them understand who they are. And so if you would turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. If you're not familiar, 1 Peter is way toward the end of the book, not the end of the Bible, not quite all the way to the end. If you hit Revelation, you've gone a little too far, turn back a couple of pages, uh, but, but it's almost that far back. So 1 Peter chapter 1, this morning we're just going to look at the first two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, 
for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I have to confess to you, um, Pastor Scott usually goes through and does a break and says, okay, this is, this is what I'm thinking we'll do for an outline of Peter, and these are, are the different messages we'll preach on. And then uh, I and a couple of the other pastors looked that over and go, oh yeah, that looks like a really good preaching schedule. And I looked at this one and said, really? Two verses? How long is that going to take? Like five minutes. Two verses. And then I started studying this and reading through it and going, okay, well, it starts off Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, so we should talk a little bit about who Peter is. Uh, to those who are elect, okay, that's going to take a few minutes. Exiles of the dispersion, yeah, that's going to take a... According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of His blood. How did he get the whole book of First Peter into two verses? I mean, this is like the whole book of First Peter just smashed together into two verses here. So let's, let's uh, take this as quick as we can, okay? Because we've got to make it all the way through two verses. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's just not assume that you know who Peter is, but let's just stop and refresh on who Peter is. Okay? Peter is that um, impetuous disciple of Jesus, the, the guy who's putting himself out there when nobody else really wants to say something. Peter's the guy that he's going to open his mouth. Whether that means that he is making a bold proclamation that everybody's like, yeah, wow, that's pretty amazing. Or he's just getting it really wide so he can jam that foot right in there. Right? That's, that's the Peter. He's just, he puts himself out there. And, and because of this, he's one of Jesus' closest friends. One of Jesus' closest disciples is Peter. Peter's, Peter's not maybe the right hand man, but the right to the right hand man. Right? He, he's, he's right there. With Jesus. He was there, uh, one of the first disciples to be called. And he was there through the whole process. He was the one that denied Jesus. You might, might remember that. That he said, oh no, Jesus, even if everybody else falls away, I will follow you right to the end. And then when pushed on it, uh, he, he went, oh no, I don't know who Jesus is. Even when a, a slave girl came to him and said, uh, no, seriously, you're one of Jesus' followers, aren't you? No. Nope. Never heard of the guy. Don't know what you're talking about. But Peter's also the one that was following Jesus, right? When everybody else did scatter, when the first blow hit, he was the one that struck it. Right? He, he, he was there when Jesus was betrayed by Judas and he took the sword and he swung because this is it, man. I've been following Jesus and I am going to go to battle for Jesus and I'm going to swing. And Jesus went, no, no, it's not that kind of a battle. I'm going to win. Don't worry. But, but this isn't how it's going to go. And Peter went, wait, what? And followed. Everybody ran away and, and Peter followed from a distance because he wanted to be there. And afterwards, Jesus came and restored him and, and, and said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Jesus, you know that I love you. I know that I disowned you, but you know that I love you. 
Peter's the guy that, that in Matthew uh, chapter 16, when Jesus was asking, this was before all the betrayal stuff, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, oh, you know, a prophet or maybe Elijah or uh, a great teacher or something. And he said, but, but who do you guys say that I am? And this is what Peter said, Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged his disciples not to tell everybody that he was the Christ. Peter was that first guy that when when Jesus said, but who do you guys say that he is? He makes this great confession. You're the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I am going to follow you to the end. He didn't fully understand what that meant at that point. But he's proclaiming boldly, you are the one that we have been waiting for and I am following you to the end. And Jesus says, yep, and Peter, you know what? On this proclamation, that's what my church is going to be built on. That's what my church is going to be built on. And so in the book of Acts, after Jesus has died and risen again from the dead and the disciples are beginning to spread the word, The Holy Spirit descends on them and they begin to preach. And who's the one to preach the first message? Peter. He's the first one to preach this great message in the book of Acts on who Jesus is and what it means that He has died and risen again from the dead. He's he's the guy that He's just out there. He's out in front. Everybody knows who Peter is. And so now Peter is writing this letter and he's sending it to um, a group of churches. And here we, we have the, them uh, listed. There's a, I think that this is probably a representation of the group of churches that he's sending it to. He says he's writing to an, the elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to uh, this region of churches. And with an expectation that this letter is going to be passed around to them. Peter hasn't necessarily been there to these churches. It's not like he went and started all of these churches. He's just writing them to encourage them about who they are. Right? And isn't it interesting how he starts off? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Okay, those who are elect, those who have been chosen by God. That's what he's saying. He's going, you, you, of of everything that you need to know about who you are, the first thing that I want to tell you is that you have been chosen by God. You are elect, the selected ones, the ones that... God has chosen. And we'll, we'll get in just a moment about a little bit more about that. But 
Then he follows that up with exiles of the dispersion. Now, there's no, in the ESV, that's the translation that I'm looking at here, there's no comma there between elect and exiles. But I, I kind of think there should be. To those who are chosen, to those who are elect, who are exiles, right? It, it's not that they are elect exiles. Not that they are chosen exiles. They are not uh, chosen to be exiles. They are, however, exiles because they were chosen. That's why they're exiles. Did you get the distinction between those two things? It's not that God said, I choose you to be an exile. It's that God said, I choose you. And one of the repercussions of that is that they are then exiles. They are exiles because they are chosen. They are exiles of the dispersion. As Peter is writing to this, there's this, there's this throwback, this hint to the Old Testament where, um, where we had the, the nation of Israel had grown up, it had gotten bigger, and then um, they didn't really follow God very well. And God kept warning them. He kept sending his prophets to warn them, look, here's what's going to happen. If you don't repent and turn back to me, you are going to get conquered and dragged out of my land. Remember how Israel was supposed to be God's people in God's place, his land, with his presence there. And God's going, this, this isn't going to be able to work if you continue to go and prostitute yourselves to all these fake idols, all these fake gods. That it's not going to work for us to be here together. You cannot be my people in my place with my presence if you are doing all of those things. And so I'm going to kick you out. And they kept after it. And so they got conquered. And they got dragged off to uh, the, the dispersion. They were dispersed all around. Dragged out of Israel. And now, now Peter is sort of making this throwback to this idea of you are God's people and now you are um, dispersed. You're not all, all concentrated in one nation, in one location. You are dispersed throughout the world. That's what's going on here. And so I am writing to you who are the chosen ones, but those who are also in exile. This, this subset, that these people who are, are out uh, and dispersed among the nations. It's interesting to me that, that he... Um, refers to them in this way because it, it shows a, a change in Peter's thinking and in his expectation, right? In, in that Matthew 16, um, when he makes this great confession and he says, who do you say that I am? And, and Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What he was expecting that meant at that point was a little bit different than what he is expecting now as he's writing this letter. Right? When he, when he said that, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, 
He was expecting that this chosen one, this Messiah, is going to come in and take over and reign in Jerusalem and everything is going to be restored and all the people are going to move back to Israel and this is the way it's going to be. So that right after that, right, he says, uh, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind on the things of God, but uh, not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He's going, Peter, no, okay. <laughs> so close, man. So close. You opened your mouth and made this great proclamation that I am the Christ, the Son of God, right on. And then you just kept your mouth open so you could stick your foot in it, man. Because that's not... You've got your mind on the things of man and not on the things of God. You, you don't understand. When I'm the Messiah and I'm coming to restore things, it's not going to be in a reign in Jerusalem, everybody comes here kind of a way. It's going to be in a kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, growing like a mustard seed and growing that kind of a way. This is a spiritual thing that's happening here. And so when Peter was in that context and, and thinking one way, now we see as he's writing to these churches that are the exiles, his thinking has changed on what's going to happen, right? His expectation of what's going on here is different now. Because now he understands, oh, we're God's chosen people, but we're exiles. We're exiles here. So he says, this is to the elect, the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You guys are exiled. Which means you don't really belong here, right? If you're asking that, that, that three-word question, do I belong... They look and see, I am an exile here. Nope, I don't really belong. Now that doesn't mean they're necessarily uncomfortable. That doesn't necessarily mean they don't like aspects of it. But they recognize that deep down, my identity is not that I am a native of this land. I'm an exile here. I don't really belong here. And so as Peter is writing this letter to these churches and he's wanting them to, to understand who they are, he wants them to understand and get their mind around the fact that they are exiles where they are. They're exiles there. So when you ask the question, do I belong? The answer is no. Nope, I don't. I'm an exile here. 
And this is going to inform a lot of this letter that he, he writes to them. It's going to inform a lot about how they relate to the people that are around them. They're going to relate to them as exiles. Now, I, I want to, to highlight that for you because I think that sometimes we think that we are natives here. That, that somehow this is our home. When in fact, it's not. We are exiles here. We're exiles. We're exiles here in Wilsonville. We're exiles here in Oregon. We're exiles here in the United States. This is not our home. This isn't where we belong. And so it's really important when we ask the question, do I belong, that the answer to that question is, nope. This isn't where I belong. Because it's going to change the way that we interact with people if we answer the question, no, rather than if we answer the question, yes. That doesn't mean there aren't things that we like about being here. This doesn't mean that we hate all of the people that we are here, or that we are anti-America or anti-Oregon or anti-Wilsonville or something like that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we are living here as um, sojourners. We are, are living here as outsiders. Our identity does not connect us to this place. which must mean our identity is somewhere else, right? Because we we have to be able to answer yes to that question somewhere. And so if it's not where we physically live in the community that we currently find ourselves, then where is it? Which is why it's so great. He starts off by saying, I'm writing this letter, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect Exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Yes! Okay, I read this and I can't help but getting super excited about this. And the reason for this, for, for my getting excited, is because um, we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We have been chosen according to what He knew. From before the foundation of the world, He said, I know you are mine. You are my chosen people. I know that you are mine. He, he chose us way, way back. It, Ephesians... Ephesians chapter 2 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, God looked and, and ahead of time said, I know who my people are and I am going to pick them and and call them to me. 
You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. To be his people. I, I think of the nation of Israel, right? As, as uh, God started talking to them. He told Abraham, look, I'm going to have you be my people and have your descendants are going to be my people. And I'm going to make them into a great nation. And he made that promise to Abraham and he made that promise to Isaac and he made that promise to Jacob. And then they went into exile in in, uh, Egypt for a little while. And then he came back with Moses and he said, you're going to be my people. And he kept reminding them of this thing. It's not because you were so beautiful that I picked you. It's not because of anything that you did. It's not because of anything so wonderful about you. I picked you because I picked you. That's why. I loved you and I have called you mine and now you are mine. And I want you to know, those of you who believe in Christ Jesus, God has picked you. And he knew before the foundation of the world that he was going to pick you and he has chosen you to be his. How awesome is that? There's no accident. There's no measuring up. There's no great deeds or great works or great anything that we have done. He just said, I have picked you. And look at this. This is a Trinity thing. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one who, who sets us aside, right? Who, who makes us holy, distinct. So we are sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, set apart and made holy for Him. So that we might be obedient to Jesus Christ. So we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit all right here, working together in tandem in the selecting of you, the sanctifying of you, the causing you to uh, go walk in obedience to Jesus and to sprinkle you with His blood. Yes! This is so great! This is so great! Because we get to see, as Christians, who we are. I don't know how Peter managed to pack all of this into so few words. But he just keeps packing it in. So that we might be obedient to Jesus Christ. If you have an identity as a person of God, rather than a person of the world, then where are you going to be obedient to? Where do your allegiances lie? Well, they're going to lie with God, right? You're going to line up with Him rather than with the things of the world because you recognize I'm an exile here. So I'm going to try and get along. I'm going to try and live at peace with those who are around me. But ultimately, this is my relationship. Because you have been chosen by God, this defines who you are and it helps you to understand your identity here, how you relate to God, and then also how you relate here to the people around you. Here I interact as a chosen one of God, destined to be obedient to Him, and here I relate as an exile and a sojourner, with great humility and compassion and love and in peace. 
And it totally impacts who I am and what I'm going to be doing. This, this phrase the, um, for the obedience to Jesus Christ. You, you maybe heard me say that same thing as I was referring to Ephesians chapter 2, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is Ephesians uh, chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has has laid it out that we might be obedient to Jesus. And, back in 1 Peter for the sprinkling of His blood. For obedience and for the sprinkling of His blood. It, it, it uh, is a throwback to language in Ezekiel chapter 36. Where he says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the the statement of the new covenant, right? The old covenant had been the covenant with Moses where he said, look, you're going to be my people. You're going to live in my land with my presence. And this is what you're going to do as my people. Here are all the laws that you're going to follow that will identify you as distinct. And they didn't do it. And so he kicked them out of the land and he said, look, this isn't, I'm going to make a new covenant. Here's how the new covenant is going to work. I'm going to change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you so that you will know that you are mine. And so that you will walk in obedience to you, to me by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. That was, that was the Old Testament promise of what was going to come. And Peter is, is throwing back to that. Because in, in that same context in Ezekiel, he, Ezekiel is telling the people, look, You're going out, I've dispersed you among the nations, and you stink. You're making a stench everywhere you go. Because there you are among the nations and still identifying as my people, but you're not doing good. You're not doing what you should be doing. You're you're bringing this um, bad name to me. And so there's going to be this new covenant And here's what's going to happen instead. So all of this, that we might know, do I belong? Do I belong here? Yes. Yes, I belong to God because He has loved me and because He has chosen me. And do I belong here? No, I am in exile here. And this is the way that it sets up all of the book of 1 Peter. So he's going to expand this and talk about this. And we'll be talking about the implications of, of what does all of this mean and how do, how do we live as God's people and what does it mean for us to follow Him. But he ends with this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Just this, this blessing of, of uh, may you have the grace of Jesus that causes you to belong here. That causes you to belong to God. If it were not for the grace of Jesus, we would not belong. None of us would measure up. We would have our sin that separates us from God and none of us would be able to go, you know what, I'll just uh, cancel that out. I'll just do good works and, and make up for it. By and large, I think I'm a pretty good person and so God can accept me. None of those things work. Instead, may the grace of Jesus be multiplied to you. The grace of Jesus in your life that, that cleanses you from sin and makes you acceptable to God so that you belong here. And then the peace. The peace that is needed for a people who are in exile. Because when you're in a place that you don't belong, it can be a terrifying thing. Can we live at peace with the people that we find ourselves around? There are times when I have been uh, walking in downtown Portland late at night and I have felt like I don't belong here. I just want there to be peace. Why is that? I, I didn't grow up there. Is there anything wrong with walking in downtown Portland? I'm sure that had I, have I, but if I had spent a considerable amount of time doing that, I would feel very comfortable there. I would know the rules of the road. I would know how to behave. And I would feel very comfortable there. But I don't. I feel much more comfortable out in the woods or in the suburbs of Wilsonville. Any time of day, I feel comfortable. There are people that it's the other way around. They feel very comfortable walking around downtown Portland. They feel much less comfortable out in the woods or in the suburbs of Wilsonville. Which to me sounds ridiculous. But it's true. Just being at peace, right? Even if you don't belong there, it's not your identity, but you're living at peace with the people who are around you. May, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so we're going to, uh, over the next couple of months, be talking more about this. Who are we as God's people? And we'll be talking a lot more about what my grandfather calls the three o'clock position. One hand straight up pointing to God, one hand pointing out to the other people, defining this three o'clock relationship. That, is, is that right for you guys? Do, do, do I get it back? It's this way, right? Okay, good. <laughs> I just, well, it might have been nine o'clock. <laughs> so we'll be doing that more, but, but we want to begin by... Um, taking communion together as God's people. Because one of the things that we do each month by way of remembering uh, who Jesus is and what he has done for us is that this also reminds us of who we are. We are God's people. We are God's people accepted because of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Because he shed his blood on the cross, our sins can be forgiven when we believe.